Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. And so one of those weapons is prayer. Prayer is a weapon of breakthrough. Jesus asked his disciples many times to do things that, uh, that moved them out of their comfort zone and were often an inconvenience. One of those times, was, uh, he said, hey, there's 5,000 men here plus women and children. They're all hungry. They've been here all day long. I want you to feed them. And so we've got anything food. We haven't got any food. It'll take, it'll take a year's way, 50 grand to feed all these people. We can't do that. And he deliberately asked them and put them a place in a place of, that was uncomfortable and inconvenient. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What do you, and he says, what do you got? And, he, and a you know, boy had five loaves and two fish and Jesus does a miracle. But he deliberately did that all the time. And he didn't allow the disciples to get in a place that was comfortable. You read it all through the Bible. People had to get out of their comfort zones to receive miracles. The the, um, blind man, was he blind? I think he was blind. Yes, he was blind. He, He heard that Jesus walking by and he started to shout out. And the crowd, the disciples that were following Jesus, turned around and said, shut up. They're good disciples, hey. They did. That's who did it. They were following the crowd that said, oh, we're following Jesus. We're here. We're, we're right with him. They said, be quiet. He doesn't want to listen to you. And then he, so he yells louder. It was inconvenient. But his, that inconvenient, he didn't care, got out of his comfort zone, and he got a miracle and was healed that day. Jesus asked his disciples to do many things that weren't convenient and to get them out of their comfort zone. He didn't want them to get comfortable because he knew that as soon as they became comfortable, they would stop growing. They would stop hungering for more. And uh, we saw that if you read the book of Acts, you see that the power of God was poured out. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Incredible miracles are happening all through the city. Thousands of people daily, daily, daily people are coming and surrendering their lives to Jesus. Miracles are happening. All kinds of incredible miracles. And then Jesus had told them, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, all the, to the ends of the world. Start in Jerusalem, but go to the ends of the world. And if you start to read in Acts, it says the church was growing rapidly, but they stayed in Jerusalem and they, start, they didn't move any further. They didn't start going any further than that. So what did a God, what did God allow to happen he allowed persecution to come in the form of Paul who had a, he also had a plan for his life but persecution came and that forced them to go we need to move out of the city they fled and everywhere they fled they carried the presence and power of God and miracles happened and it went all throughout the world so God didn't allow them to get comfortable because the moment you say oh this is so good this is just so comfortable the new chairs are so comfortable God will kick you out of it. This is so comfortable. You know, church isn't meant to be comfortable. The moment church becomes comfortable, it's a dead church. It's true. Church doesn't mean you can have a nice church, a nice building, but God's, God wants this pastor has been talking about faith. Faith is stepping out in the uncomfortable, stepping out of into inconvenience. 
stepping out into something you've never done before. That's the way the church should be all the time. That's the way our lives should be as Christians all the time, stepping out into something new. And God will always challenge you. You say, God, that was amazing what happened. I saw that happen. You go, let's just, take, let's just go a little bit further. Let's, let's, let's move towards the next breakthrough. Let's let, move towards the next miracle. He said, there's so much more, so much more you haven't seen. He said, let's just take another step. Don't stay where you are. Don't just get to say, that miracle was awesome. Don't make your whole life about that one miracle you saw happen. He said, there's hundreds more if you would just keep breaking through. Just keep hitting that wall with that hammer. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. And so miracles are often inconvenient. God will often ask you to do things that are inconvenient. It often upsets your schedule. Upsets your agenda. Fast. We're talking about prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Fasting is inconvenient. I need to change my schedule. I need to change this, change it if I'm going to fast. And so prayer, extra prayer, inconvenient. We can can pray. You might pray daily and and you can get into religious routine about prayer. I pray my five or ten minutes in the morning, do it this time or it might be half an hour, whatever it may be, and I just do that. And it can become a very convenient, comfortable place. And God says, how about you just make some more time? How about we just go a little bit deeper? And so I want to start to talk a little bit about that tonight. And, uh, and Jesus talked about it. We need to ask ourselves these tonight, am I going to live according to God's agenda or my agenda? When you're, you've got things you've got planned for the day, thank you for the lights, when you've got things you've got planned for the day and your path that is in need, that has questions about God or a situation they are in great need and, need, and you're able to help, and we go, oh, no, I'm too busy, sorry. Maybe, maybe, maybe tomorrow would have been better, but I'm too busy today. But God brings people and he wants to upset our agenda because he said, if you would just get in that place that's inconvenient and not comfortable and get out of that comfort zone in their own agenda, he said, that's where the miracles are. That's where the breakthrough is. And so God will deliberately put things in your path that will be uncomfortable. Am I going to live according to God's agenda or my agenda? Do I want to stay in a comfortable place or do I want to step into the place of breakthrough and miracles? Not just because it's not just for you, but it's for the people of our city. Because when you learn to step out of your comfort zone, it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect everyone else you come in contact with. It's begun again to say, it's going to affect people around you. There's going to, you're going to carry something, like I talked about a few weeks ago. There's going to be something on your life, and you're going to walk into places because you've stepped out in faith. You've stepped out of inconvenience to you, but you've stepped out and learned that if I step out and obey God, that miracles are going to happen, that breakthroughs going to happen. So we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I want to talk about what happens when we make more time to pray. And uh, yesterday morning I shared um, a bit about this with the young adults in here. And I'm going to share a bit about on those lines again. I'm going to share an account of, uh, an, of, of a move of God that happened. And so some of them heard that yesterday morning. So you'll have to hear it again. And, uh, but it's powerful. But here's what Jesus said in Luke 18, 1 to 8. It'll be on the screen. One day Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying and never stop or lose hope. He shared with them this illustration. In a certain town, there was a judge, a thick-skinned and godless man who had no fear of others' opinions. And there was a poor widow in that town who kept pleading with the judge, grant me justice and protect me against my oppressor. He ignored her plea to her. 
Even though I'm not a religious man, I don't care about the opinions of others. I'll just get her off my back by answering her claims for justice and I'll rule in her favor. Then she'll leave me alone. The Lord continued, Jesus continued, Did you hear what the ungodly judge said? That he would answer her persistent request. Don't you know that God, the true judge, not the godless judge or ungodly judge, but the true judge who loves us will grant justice to all of his children, or to all of his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day. He will pour out his spirit upon them. He will not delay to answer you and give you what you ask for. God will give swift justice to those who don't give up. So be ever praying, ever expecting, just like the widow was with the judge. Yet when the Son of Man comes back, will he find this kind of persistent faithfulness in his people? That's what Jesus said. He was speaking to his disciples, speaking to a crowd, and he said, He's talking about prayer, persistence in prayer. The first judge just wanted to get the lady off her back, like just, just, just give her what I want so she can get out of the way. Didn't care about her, but was annoyed at the persistence. But God, the true judge, was never gets annoyed at your persistent prayer. In fact, he says, please do it. Because if you do, he said, I'll give you quick justice. I'll pour my spirit out on you. He's like waiting to come and, and, and give you what you answer. But he said, will you do it persistently? Will you, will you take more time and pray? Will you be so annoying to me that I would just pour out such blessing on you that you won't, can't contain it? True judge will grant justice to those that cry out to him, it says, day and night. That's talk, day and night. It's talking about, do you need to make more room? Is there times when you need to take some time and, and pray? Just say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take some time. and I'm going to pray for a few hours tonight. I'm going to make room today. And it might be one day a week. It might be once every few weeks or once a month, whatever it is. But you just make say, God, I'm just going to begin to call upon your name and begin to pray like I've never prayed before. That's what Jesus is saying here. He will pour out his spirit upon them. It says he will not delay to answer you and give you what you ask for. God will give swift justice to those who don't give up. So there's a waiting sometimes in prayer. Sometimes Daniel found that. You can read in Daniel about where he prayed and it took 21 days or 22 days or whatever it was. It might have been longer. I can't remember now off the top of my head. The angel heard and he said, we answered your prayer, but I fought my way here to bring you the answer. There was a spiritual battle going on. And so prayer, we've got to be persistent in prayer because God, the answer will come if we don't give up, Jesus said. Be ever praying, ever expecting, will he find this persistent faithfulness in us? That's what it's basically saying. And then he's talking, he's looking ahead and saying, will God find that persistent faithfulness in prayer when Jesus comes back, will there be people praying with that persistence, saying, God, we're calling upon your name. We're calling for you to move. I want to read to you um, an account of a move of God. Because when I, was, when I read that scripture, I knew that God wanted me to share that scripture. And as soon as I read that, I remembered a move of God that happened that lined up with what Jesus was saying in that, in that scripture, what he was saying to people. And that, that's what came to my mind straight away. The God that happened called the Hebrides Revival. 
1949. And a man, and this is an account by Duncan Campbell, who was a who was an evangelist pastor uh, that ended up being involved. To read, which is mentioned a few times, is this one in Isaiah 44, verse 3, New King James Version says, "For I will pour out water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit." On your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I will pour out water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. And uh, I think it's Don McDonnell who says, you know, sometimes it's better caught than taught. And I just believe this. I'm just going to read this to you. And, um, and every time I read it, it's like it just impacts me so much every time I read it. And I just believe that as I read this tonight, there's some things that you're going to catch. There's some things that are going to jump out to you that are going to impact you. And I believe the Spirit of God is beginning to speak to people as you, as you sit in your seat right there. And before you walk out tonight, God's going to put some things on your heart that are going to begin to change you. So some things are better caught than taught. Catch something of the heart of God and power of prayer in this. So, so Duncan Campbell, and I, I'm not going to read, there's pages and pages to read, and I'm not reading it all, I've just taken some parts out of it. But he says this about revival, which is about, you know, we talk about the word revival, and, we, and some people have this idea about it, and that idea about it, and I love what he says here. He says, then I would like to make it perfectly clear what I understand a revival. He, he said this and spoke this at a meeting, I think in 1968, something like that. When I speak of revival, I'm not thinking of high-pressure evangelism. I'm not thinking of crusades or of special efforts con, um, convened and organized by man. That is not in my mind at all. Revival is something altogether different from evangelism on its highest level. Revival is a moving of God in the community and, a sudden, and suddenly the community becomes God-conscious by any man. Now, I'm, I am sure you would be interested to know, in November 1949, the gracious movement began on the island of Lewis. Two old women, one of them 84 years old of age, and the other 82, one of them was blind, were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own parish. It was when a woman went to the church, they spent their day perhaps reading and walking, but the church was left out of the picture, and those two women were greatly concerned, and they made it a special matter of prayer. That right there is very important. A verse gripped them, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. They were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so much uh, time in prayer twice a week. On a Tuesday, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock uh, in the evening or in the morning. I don't know why they picked that time, but obviously it was a quiet time to do it. Two old women in a very humble cottage twice a week. One night, one of the sisters had a vision. Now, remember, in revival, God works in wonderful ways. A vision to one of them. And in the vision, she saw the church of her fathers crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and a strange minister standing in the pulpit. And she was so impressed by the vision that she sent for the parish minister. And, of course, he, he knowing the two sisters, knowing that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responded to their invitation and called at the cottage. That Easter said to the minister, you must do something about it. And I would suggest that you call your office bearers as these deacons together and that you would spend us with, uh, with us at least two nights a week in prayer, Tuesday and Friday. If you gather the elders together and you meet in the barn and you can pray there and we'll pray here in the cottage. Well, that was what happened. The minister called his office bearers together and seven of them met in the barn to pray on Tuesday and on Friday. And the two old women met in their cottage, got on their knees and prayed with them. 
Well, that continued for some weeks. Indeed, I believe almost a month and a half, so six weeks, until one night. Now, this is what I'm anxious for you to get a hold of. One night, they were kneeling there in the barn, pleading this promise. I will pour water on dry ground. One young man, a deacon in the church, got up and read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. And then that young man closed his Bible. And looking down at the minister and the other office bearers, he said, It seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted his two hands, and I'm telling you, just as the minister told me it happened, he listened and prayed, God, are my hands, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. That young man fell to his knees and then fell into a trance. Me to explain this because I can't. He fell into a trance and is now lying on the moment. He and his office bearers were gripped by the conviction that a God-sent revival must be ever related to holiness, must ever be related to godliness. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival, that was the conviction. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish, into the church, and an awesomeness of God gripped the community. Such hadn't been known for over a hundred years. An awesomeness of God, that's revival, that's revival. And on the following day, the looms were silent. Sewing machines for people that are younger. Little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things gripped by eternal realities. Now, I wasn't on the island when that happened, but again, one of the sisters sent for the minister and she said to him, I think you ought to invite someone to the parish. I cannot give a name, but God must have someone in mind, for we saw a strange man in the pulpit and that man must be somewhere. So a man for community, there was a whole lot of a story about it, but basically a man for community went, found Duncan Campbell and invited him. Now, at that time, I was in college in Edinburgh. It was easy for me to leave, but it was decided that I should go for 10 days. Never forget the night that I arrived at the piers in the, in, in the mail steamer. I was standing in the presence of the minister I've never seen and two of his elders that I've never knew. The minister turned to me and said, I know, Mr. Campbell, that you are very tired. You've been traveling all day by train to begin with and then by a steamer, and I'm sure that you are ready for your supper and ready for your bed. But I wonder if you would be prepared to address a meeting in the parish church at nine o'clock tonight on our way home. It will be a short meeting and then we'll make the we'll make for the manse and you will get supper. You can see that being set up. Get supper and your bed and rest until tomorrow until tomorrow evening. Well it will interest you to know that I never got that supper. We got to the church about quarter to nine to find 300 people gathered. I would say about 300 people and I gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting, a sense of God, a consciousness of His Spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So I pronounced the benediction and we were leaving the church, I would say, about quarter to 11. Just as I'm walking down the aisle along, uh, along with this young deacon who read the psalm in the barn, he suddenly stood in the aisle and looking up to the heavens, he said, God, you can't fail us and floods upon the dry ground god you can't fail us soon he is on his knees in the aisle 
and he's still praying, and then he falls into a trance again. Just then the door opened. It is now 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens, and the locksmith comes back into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it. He's done it. When I went to the door of the church, I saw a congregation of 600 people. 600 people, where had, where had they come from? What had happened? I believe that they... That very night, God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the parish of Barbas. Over 100, over 100 young people were in the dance in a parish hall, and they weren't thinking of God or eternity. God was not in their thoughts. They were there to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon the dance. The music ceased, and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague, and they made for the church. They are now standing outside. Yes, they saw the lights of the church. That was the house of God, and they were going to it, and they went. Men and women who had gone to bed rose, dressed, and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity, no mention of a special meeting, but God took the situation in hand. He became his own publicity agent. A hunger and a thirst gripped the people. 600 of them now are in the church, standing at the church, standing outside. The dear man, the blacksmith, turned to me and said, I think that we should sing a psalm. And they sang and they sang and they sang verse after verse. Oh, what singing, what singing. And then the doors were opened and the congregation flocked back into the church. Now the church is crowded. A church to seat 800 is now packed to capacity. It is now going on towards midnight. I managed to make my way through the crowd along the aisle towards the pulpit. I found a young woman, a teacher in the grammar school, lying prostrate on the floor of the pulpit, praying, Oh God. Is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? She was one of those at the dance, but she is now lying on the floor of the pulpit, crying to God for mercy. You know, I believe that there's people in our community that they don't think they're good enough to walk into a church. And there's the cry in their heart saying, God, is there mercy for me? Because no one's ever taught them about God's love. No one's ever taught, told them that Jesus loves them. And there's people out in our community that, that, that just don't think they're good enough to walk. I've had people say that to me. I don't think I'm good enough to walk in the church because God won't love me. I've done too much wrong for God to love me. That meeting continued until 4 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't tell you how many were saved that night. But of this I am sure and certain that at least five young men who were saved in that church that night are today ministers in the Church of Scotland, having gone through university and college. At four o'clock we decided to make for the manse to go to bed. The roadside had become an altar, so we left them there. And just as I was leaving the church, a young man came to me and said, Mr. Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station. I said, the police station? What's wrong? Oh, he said, there's nothing wrong, but there must be at least 400 people gathered around the police station just now. Now, the sergeant there was a God-fearing man. He was in the meeting, but people knew that this was a house that feared God. And next to the police station was the cottage in which the two old women lived. I believe that that had something to do with the magnet, the power that drew men. 
There was a coach load, that's a horse and carriage, at that meeting. A coach load had never come over, that had come over 12 miles to be there. Now, if anyone would ask them today why, how did it happen, who arranged it, they couldn't tell you. But they found themselves grouping together and someone saying, what about going to Barbas? I don't know, but I have a hunger in my heart to go there. I can't explain it. They couldn't explain it, but God had the situation in hand. This is revival, dear people. This is a sovereign act of God. This is the moving of God's spirit, I believe, in answer to the prevailing prayer of men and women who believe that God was a covenant-keeping God. As I'm walking along that country road, we had to walk about a mile. I heard someone praying by the roadside. I went over and there were four young men on their knees at the roadside. Yes, they were at the dance, but they are now they're crying to God for mercy. One of them was under the influence of alcohol. He was under 20 years of age. But that night, God saved him. And he is today the parish minister. Converted in the revival with 11 of his friends. This was on the very first night of a mighty demonstration that shook the island. Oh, let me say it again. There wasn't, this wasn't the beginning of revival. Revival began in the prayer meeting. Revival began in the awareness of God. And of course, after that, we're at it night and day. Churches crowded. A messenger would come. I remember one night, it was three in the morning. A messenger came to say that the, that the churches were crowded in another parish 15 miles away. Crowded at that hour in the morning. So we went to this parish. The interesting thing about that meeting was a sight that I saw. The headmaster of a secondary school in the parish is lying on his face, on the ground, crying to God for mercy. Oh, deeply convicted of his, uh, of his need. And on either side of them, two young young girls, I would say about 16 years of age, two on each side of him. And they kept saying to the headmaster, Master, Jesus that saved us last night in Barvis can save you tonight. Jesus that saved us last night in Barvis can save you tonight. It is true that when man comes into vital relationship with Jesus Christ, his supreme desire is to win others to win others that night to win their headmaster and they won him oh God swept into his life I believe in answer to the prayer of four young girls 16 years of age who had a burden for him that continued for three years what he just described happened for three years until the whole of the island was swept by the mighty power of God I couldn't tell you how many. I never checked the number. I was afraid to do, do that. Always know that at least 75% of those who were born again during the revival were born again before they could get near a church, before they had any word from any of the other ministers. Many of them were heading to the church and God supernaturally impacted them on the side of the road. Thousands of people, over three pages more, of all the things that he, all the stories and all the things, and I've just read you a small amount. I read that because when you read something like that's what God, that is a result of people. You want to know what happens when Jesus said pray and pray day and night and pray and, and pray without ceasing? That's what happens. That's what happens. That's why Jesus talked about prayer a lot. And he said, pray, 
pray without ceasing. Don't give up. Keep praying. That's why he told the, the apostles to keep praying. In the book of Acts, they get together all the time and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed because every time they prayed, God's power and Holy Spirit kept being released upon their region, upon everything that was going on. And some things I noticed about this is that the two elderly sisters were not comfortable with the state of the people in their community, so they made more room to pray. We need to be, as a church, as Christians, we need to be very uncomfortable with the state of our city, with the state of our community. We need to be uncomfortable with all the brokenness. We need to be very uncomfortable with all the people that don't know, comfortable with the sick and the broken that can be healed by the power of God. We need to be very uncomfortable with those that think they're not good enough to walk into church because they think they've been too bad. We need to be very uncomfortable with that and we need to begin to pray for those people. We need to pray for our community and believe that God will come and visit them. Even if they don't get to the church, it doesn't matter. The God will visit them in their house, in the, in the street, in the supermarket, in the shopping center, on the beach, at any time of the day, any time of night, in any type of condition, whether they're sober, whether they're drunk, whether they're broke, whether they're hurting, whatever it may be, that God would visit them because God can do whatever He wants when His people will simply persistently pray and call upon His name. And you don't have to ask anyone to come to church when God begins to move because they'll be saying, how do I get there? Where is the address? Where are you going to church? They will be knocking down the doors and beating you to your new comfortable seat and you'll have to sit on the floor in the back corner because you won't be able to fit in the church when we really begin to pray, church. This building will not fit them in. They persisted in prayer and they didn't give up. They persisted. For six weeks they prayed in the barn. They prayed in their house. They could have, they could have thought, oh God, he's not, nothing's happening. But they kept praying for six weeks. And suddenly this young man gets a revelation. Read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. He in that moment had a revelation of the holiness of God, of godliness. And God is always calling us to say, are your hands clean? Are what your hands doing right before me? Is your heart pure? Because God moves in a people that will have a heart to say, God, and that doesn't mean you're perfect, and that means, doesn't mean you've got it all together, but you're honestly saying, God, my heart isn't pure. My hands are unclean, but God, would you make me clean? That's, exact, that's all he did. One, one young man read that, had a revelation of it, and he cried and said, God, make my hands clean. Make my heart pure. And the power of God touched him, and it was a trigger point. That moment was a trigger point for that whole town. And suddenly the whole town, the community, were aware of God in that one moment. And the next day... They're like, they're trying to work, they're trying to do whatever they're doing, but they can't stop thinking about God. They can't stop thinking about eternity. They can't stop thinking about 
God, there's an awareness of God. They're saying God is, he's real. And I, we need to pray that that same thing happens in our city. Because I believe, every time I read things like this, I believe that I believe when I read that, I believe that that's what's going to happen. If you ask me, what do you think, what do you see will happen in our city? That suddenly, suddenly our whole city of Harvey Bay, this whole region will suddenly become aware of God. There's an awareness of God. And they say, I, I, need, to, I need to get my life right with God. I believe suddenly God is real. I believe He's real and I need to get my life right with Him. And that's exactly what happened. Clean hands and a pure heart. They triggered an awareness of God. And the power of God swept through that whole community, not just for a few days, but for the next three years. When he asked me what I see, I see in our city, I see what I just read there. I see for many, many years, I've seen things, I've seen people's faces pressed up against these windows because they can't fit in. I've seen lines and crowds of people that can't fit in churches all through this city. People being healed in shopping centres. People getting out of wheelchairs in the middle of shopping centres. People getting out of hospital beds and walking out of the hospital completely healed. God just doing it and moving. But it happens with prayer. Happens starts with us. It started with two old women. If two old women can get a burden, one of them's blind, had every excuse in the world to just go, I'm old, I'm blind. She can't even see the people around her. God had, she could, oh, but God, you haven't healed me. I'm not going to pray. Blow you, God. No, she cried out and prayed and prayed and prayed because they weren't satisfied with the condition of their community. It may be an inconvenience to find more time to pray, but the results of doing it far outweigh the cost. Come the worship team coming up. Isaiah 44.3, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and I will flood the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on the descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I want you to stand tonight as the worship team come. We're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And prayer is what's going to change our nation. Not better programs, not more money. Prayer will change our nation. Prayer will change not just our nation, but every nation. It's been proven all through history. When God's people pray, transformation happens. When God's people pray, sometimes we just got to get so uncomfortable with the situation of our city we can choose to ignore it or we can choose to have God's heart and accept it and look at it and say God we need your move we need you to move in the brokenness in the in the families tonight that are violence that's happening in families right now in our city kids that are being hurt and abused wives that are being hurt husbands that are being hurt people that are drinking right now because they don't know how to handle what's going on in their life we get people coming in to recycle and you hear a few stories and I was chatting to one guy and he he's living a guy downstairs was living underneath his house and 
and he said, oh, this guy I'm living with, he's in his 30s and he just drinks all night long because he's bringing all these cans and he has so many cans and he said he drinks a carton of beer every every night till three o'clock in the morning then goes to work the next day and works all day and comes home and drinks all night in the morning. And, and I said, hey, and, and this guy wasn't a Christian. He, he was just, I said, well, is it going to come to a point where he's, can't do that for much longer and this guy was quite worried about him but there's people in our city that are living like that they need Jesus they need to encounter him they're not gonna just suddenly you know they mightn't just walk straight into a church until they have an awareness of God but the thing that's going to give an awareness of God is when we begin to pray when we begin to thirsty that man whether he knows or not he's thirsty because he's he's looking for something that's real he's looking for answers and he's like there's people all across our city that are so thirsty for something and they're trying to find what it is and it's Jesus and they need him and they're thirsty and they're thirsty and we are able to call upon the name of the Lord and say Jesus would you pour out your spirit on those that are thirsty would you pour out your spirit on those that need you on this dry ground Lord God he is able to do it he's able to do it this is what I two things I want to ask for. The first one is this, that you might be here tonight and I shared that scripture about in Psalm 24, are my hands, is my, are my hands clean, is my heart pure? Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who, in other words, who can go into the presence of God? And maybe you're saying, hey, there's some stuff in my life that I need to deal with. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't even know Jesus. You've never given your life to Him. You've never even surrendered your life to Him. And I want to give you an open invitation right now to say, tonight, you can do that right at this moment. You can say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Maybe you've been dealing with some stuff and there's some, and you're going, my heart isn't pure. My hands aren't clean. But God, I ask you for your mercy tonight. And would you just wash me clean and make me brand new? And I just want to just, if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes or anything. I just want, if that, if you need to meet Jesus or you need to get right with God, just come and step out of your seat and just step out here right now, right at this moment. Some people are going to do this right now and it's going to be a life-changing point in your life. You struggle with stuff right now. You struggle with things in your life and you're going, I can't get free of that. And God's calling you right now. If you want to be free, get out here now. If you want to be free, come out now. It's as straight as that. God's Spirit's calling us. If you want to be free, freedom is here for you. Freedom is here for you. Freedom is here for you. Freedom is here. Freedom is here. Freedom is here for you. Freedom is here right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Freedom is here. Just pray, church, just for a moment. Thank you, Lord, for your life and power, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, who the sun sets free is free. He's free indeed. Lord God, I thank you for your freedom over his life right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name.
is able. Here that you're surrendering or giving your life to Jesus for the very first time. You've never, ever done it before. I think most of you had. Some of you might be just making a new commitment to God. And I'm just going to pray a prayer with everyone. And I ask that everyone would just pray these words after me. Jesus, I come to you right now and I surrender to you. I surrender my life. I surrender my heart. I ask you to forgive me and wash me clean. Make me brand new. Help me, Lord God, to live for you. To my thought and my to be your thoughts. That my ways would be your ways. Thank you, Father God for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin. I give you my life. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.